Okay, currently we see that there are just few social groups and specialists who can be safe due to the COVID-19 and the nurses, medical personnel. I believe that due to your whole journey in the healthcare industry have many peers, many people who are involved in this uh, uh, niche. Uh, based on your experience, uh, what kind of a stories you can share uh, how people uh, actually involved in this process, maybe some kind of dramatic stories or some special stories with really different from um, how we deal with situation currently at how our homes? Yeah, I mean, you know, um, Yona, I'm a nurse. I've been a nurse for a very, very long time. And those are my people that are out there on the front lines working side by side with physicians and respiratory therapists and many other clinicians and support staff in healthcare. And it's a very, very scary time. Um, as I reach out to my colleagues around the country, the, the biggest um, fear is, is that they don't feel adequately protected. And I would even take that a step farther to say they feel very, very let down by the system um, that exists to provide health care. So certainly the, the scope of the pandemic, the utilization of personal protective equipment, just the sheer volume of that was I, I, clearly greater than anyone has anticipated. However, the difficulty in procuring and obtaining supplies has been mind-blowing in terms of how the supply chain has broken down the difficulty in accessing things on a local level, a regional level, a state level, and a federal level. So I, there are many, many professionals on the front line um, whom I've communicated with, not even the countless that you can certainly see that are active on social media, that are very frustrated and concerned. And I think it's going to be interesting for us after we work through this more immediate and pressing pandemic to see what the impact of that is on our providers and clinicians. We don't know if we're going to see people leave our professions. There's a very strong sense of loyalty and a strong sense of commitment. However, this seems to be very, very taxing for certainly all of the right reasons on people. We don't know if we're going to see um, those that may be a few years from retirement retire. We also don't know conversely if this is going to be a call to action. So I think it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out. I can tell you that there is a lot of discussion, certainly in, in the nursing space in particular, that's where I'm most tuned in right now, 
to what are the long-term impacts on the mental health and clinician burnout of this current pandemic. We don't know what this is going to do in the long term to people's mental health. Uh, clearly, there's moral distress. There's a tremendous amount of burnout. We're seeing people that are working more hours and more days than they normally would in situations that are not, um, they're far from normal. Nurses in intensive care units who normally might have two or three patients now have five, six, seven, eight patients. This is unheard of. So we don't really know yet what the long-term impact of that um, is going to be. I believe that we're never prepared to social challenges. And for instance, while we have technologies like AI for a drug research, for a pandemic prediction, it's never enough to be efficient. And just recently, we were uh, we seen how people should come up with some ideas just in a workplace, because we have no solution which actually work currently, and we need to create just immediately for current patient, current situation. So uh, based on your experience, do you see that uh, nurses, uh, medical professionals came up with some ideas just immediately in particular situation, in particular case, in order to help patients with some technology or innovation? Well, absolutely. I mean, I, I think that we saw right off the bat, there was a lot of discussion around treatment, right? That's certainly, that's led by the medical community. What are potential treatments here? Uh, what therapies might work? what therapies won't work, and talking about applying research and evidence to those, not just shooting from the hip. We're also seeing um, uh, a lot of ingenuity, a lot of innovation uh, and design thinking going into um, how do we scale the use of ventilators? You know, A, is that the right modality and the right treatment? Is it offering more benefit than harm? And certainly, how do we scale ventilators? So we've seen a lot of uh, very strong interdisciplinary collaboration around trying to figure out how um, to use one ventilator for two patients, right? That's that stuff we never would have thought of even six weeks ago. So looking at those kind of things, there was a very neat innovation that came out of nurses um, at uh, in California at, at some Kaiser facilities that's ingenious and it's very simplistic and it was using baby monitors to communicate with patients that are in COVID isolation rooms just as a way to uh, be able to communicate directly with those patients and in, in many cases even observe those patients through the use of baby monitors and what it does is it helps to um, limit the constant um, use and uh, you know, sort of the use and the discard of PPE. So we've seen every discipline step up and try to think outside the box and be incredibly creative right now. It's, it's very, it's amazing work to see, uh, but people have come together and they're doing everything that they possibly can to contribute in ways that are benefiting patients, patient care, and also trying to help um, make the lives of those delivering the care um, just a little bit better. I believe that currently uh, we explore interesting shift in skill set uh, across different areas and niches. 
and I believe uh, educators, creators, medical professionals uh, become a bit engineers because we need to deal some kind of technology, platform, automation. Based on your extensive experience, how uh, do you think um, the skill set of a nurses and medical professional changed over decades and what must skills currently we need to deal with such kind of pandemics for instance yeah that's a really good question so nurses are uniquely positioned uh, in the united states there are over four million registered nurses and we know that nurses, um, and this is true around the world, nurses spend more direct time with patients and their families than any other discipline. So they're very attuned to those dynamics and interactions and to those workflows. So they have a, a unique perspective on, on sort of that, that piece of the pie, which is a very large piece. So identifying problems and coming up with solutions is something that nurses are very uniquely positioned to do and do very well. We often don't talk to nurses about the fact that they're innovators, but they are. And instead, in the nursing world, we all see it as ways to create a workaround or MacGyver a situation or just simply do what it takes to provide care to the patient. And that really is innovation. So nurses are very well positioned to do that and continue to come up with countless innovations in ways that help not just during uh, the time uh, that we're in right now during this pandemic situation, um, but on an ongoing basis. So I think that we're seeing uh, certainly nurses just like every profession, medicine and, and the other disciplines as well, continuing to rise to the occasion to some degree because they're forced to, because many of our traditional systems and processes um, either have failed us or are not able to support the needs right now or fast enough. So I think we are seeing a lot of innovation come out of this time. Um, I think if we, you know, certainly if it were up to us, we would slow down the speed and the scale of this a little, but it's completely out of our hands, as we all know. We literally are at the mercy of this virus. So I think watching and learning is, is the most important thing that we can take away so that we learn from this and can apply some of those lessons in the long term and ideally in a permanent way so that we do become better at providing care learning about prevention, learning at how to scale operations more safely. I, I think that there are going to be some long-lasting permanent lessons that we absolutely have to learn and apply going forward. I believe that nursing uh, has, a, uh, based on unique um, pattern of soft and hard skills, uh, based on your experience, it's something which we need to teach people in order to work in this occupation, or it's more a kind of natural, genuine skill set you're looking uh, uh finding your talent in people who go in this profession. It is a combination of what you've described very nicely as soft and hard skills. 
you know, certainly as nurses, we are trained to be critical thinkers. We're trained to apply the evidence. We're trained to, you know, provide assessments and understand all of the variables of, of how a patient presents and of the current situation and even of family dynamics to put together a picture on how, it, from our nursing perspective, um, we believe we can best accommodate or care for that patient. It's also important for us as we continue to incorporate more technology, it's important for us to make sure that we are the sort of the, the voice of humanity and of compassion and of empathy. And that's a real, um, that's a balancing act because it, it isn't one or the other. It really has to be both. And we certainly are seeing a rather steep acceleration in terms of the adoption of innovation and the adoption of technology right now. For example, seeing more um, organizations begin to very quickly apply remote patient monitoring for inpatients. And, and I'm a, a huge supporter and advocate of that because of how I believe it helps act as a force multiplier to nursing. So having technology to back up what nurses see in the real time setting is a great way to provide yet another layer of sort of protection and support for patients and support for nurses because nurses do get spread very, very thin. And I hope that's a conversation that we go back and revisit in this country. The way that we staff, the way that we resource, it, it's problematic. So I think we're going to have to look at applying uh, resources such as technology uh, through remote monitoring as a way to help offset and um, allow nurses to work smarter and better uh, across the country. Certainly, I think we're also going to have to go back and revisit the way that we train nurse nurses when they're nursing students. We should be incorporating things such as AR and VR using immersive technologies so that we actually can create um, muscle memory or pathways in people's brains that literally makes the responses to critical situations um, appropriately impulsive in the right ways because there would be real-time consequences in a virtual world to to that learning. So I think this is a good time for us to really uh, begin to look at incorporating technologies that in the past we've talked about and there are some organizations out there that are certainly the leaders. However, I think we're going to have to accelerate these curves very, very quickly to bring others into the space, whether it's a nursing school or whether it's a hospital um, around remote monitoring. So I think this is going to force conversations that we've been a little bit slow to talk about. Now, I would love to talk about empathy. Uh, interestingly enough that before, uh, which term is mostly used across social science, philosophy, but currently is incorporated in design thinking, design with empathy. How do you define empathy in practical way, not some kind of a buzzword, but something actually work for patient and interaction of a medical uh, um, personnel and patients? Well, you know, I would tell you as nursing students, we actually learn about that way, way, way back in, in programs, right? Because it's a piece of communication. So certainly if we've gone through that life experience and can share the exact same experience as a patient, that would allow us to provide sympathy. In most cases, many of us haven't. So instead we can empathize, right? And that means it's, it's a very 
genuine and heartfelt, but it's also important for us to put ourselves in their shoes to understand what that feels like and, and not just go um, to a problem per se, but rather to try to truly empathize and understand why that problem exists. So as we can apply empathy as a, as a lens to our patient, it certainly it, it connects us closer with our patients. It, it makes us more human. It also really does allow us to understand why patients are experiencing the things that they are and maybe why they're feeling the way that they're feeling. And certainly there, there are a plethora of reasons that this is important. However, one of the things that even this recent pandemic continues to shine a light on, especially here in the United States for us, is the inequities and disparities in a, in a very, very ugly, unfair way. This has come into the daylight and it's unacceptable for us to not have access to quality care and to help everyone live a healthy and well life. So using empathy in that way, I think is going to force and absolutely demand conversations that we've not been very good at having here. And that's not okay. And that we cannot as individuals let those conversations be unheard. We have to engage in that because it's inhumane to allow our country, certainly a well-resourced country to exist, knowing that this is a problem and it so profoundly came to light even worse than ever right now. I just spent my mentoring session uh, and program uh, between Palestine and Israel and I would say it was a, an amazing experience in terms of what we could learn in terms of technology, computer science, which we use for emergency situation. One of exploration in hospital was uh, is the overcrowdedness of emergency rooms and access to uh, quick medical access and services. So, based on your experience, which the key challenges you face in hospitals in the U.S. Uh, for patient and maybe for uh, per, uh, medical uh, experts as well? Well, it's interesting because I think that. Um, at the beginning of the, the sort of ramp up of this pandemic, we saw um, many barriers be peeled away literally overnight around telehealth and telemedicine. That has certainly provided access for uh, millions and millions of people all over our country to have access to the providers on the other end for high-quality, on-demand health care. It's also, in many cases, especially as a result of, of this current pandemic, it's either provided those services free or at extremely low cost. So for us, that's I don't see that um, that's toothpaste that we can never step back in the tube. I cannot see how, as a country, consumers will move away from telehealth and access, such easy access to that and go back to the old system, which was more minimal access to telehealth and more on-site brick and mortar type visits. However, that only addresses a portion of the population that doesn't address people who don't have access to a computer or don't have access to internet or don't have access to smartphones. So we are gonna have to figure out 
how to bring those those people those are humans that have the same right to care we're going to have to figure out how to provide services to those people as well and i i think those are the challenges that that we are going to have to grapple with i don't see us ever going backwards again on on telehealth and even the reimbursement to that that has allowed providers to offer these services now the fact that they're actually getting paid to do them one of the biggest uh, problem i see currently both as a person who work with technology but also as a patient who have a, a neuromuscular disorder uh, is how uh, technology adopted across uh, different hospitals or uh, healthcare ecosystem for instance I deal with teams who uh, come from ecosystem like MIT, Harvard. They come up with a, a great ideas. We get funding, but unfortunately, um, only on conferences or maybe some presentations we see this uh, technology. And that's all. Uh, this technology is never adopted in real life for real patients. So, based on your experience, what's the restriction challenges? we face and why we actually not able to adopt some technology like robotics like uh, uh, artificial intelligence in many hospitals which such in need for patients well you know i think it's a couple of things right i think that it's there's been a very high bar um in terms of technology acceptance security privacy is something cloud-based or or not um and then there's certainly you know the money side right the cost side of of who pays for things and what's the return on an investment and how are we able to demonstrate that it improves the outcomes so i think that all of those components literally go into this very messy soup right and we have to come up with all the right answers at the right times in order to be able to deploy and scale technology um at at wambi we work very very closely with um chief nursing officers as well as the um cios to to make sure that people understand the benefit of what we do our platform really works um on three different um kind of approaches we work to reduce uh clinician burnout improve employee engagement and enhance the patient experience and the basis of all that is gratitude and there's never been a more important time for that so we find that um certainly in the patient care space nurses physicians clinicians are very very receptive to um working with us to be able to share more gratitude with the uh, whether it's a physician, a nurse or another member of the support staff, that's incredibly important. We're also seeing that generally in the IT space, people are very very willing to engage with us around how we can bring this to different facilities, whether it's inpatient or outpatient. I think that there's going to have to be a whole lot more working back and forth and dialogue. Certainly I'm not advocating that anyone uh lower the bar on security and privacy and any standards, but rather let's figure out ways to partner whether it's our technology or any other. We have to we have to work through these things in a collaborative fashion because at the end of the day we really all do exist for the same reason. We want to improve patient outcomes, we want to improve the wellness in our communities and certainly help our our providers, our clinicians uh be as safe as they can and do the best job that they can with 
with the resources available. So I do hope that we're going to see a lot more collaboration um, in every aspect, uh, not just only in the short term. I do hope as human beings, we are able to bring empathy that that has kind of resurrected itself right now. I hope we're able to continue that for a long time. Robotics and artificial intelligence uh, is one of your key expertise, and you wrote a book dedicated to this topic. Uh, so I have a following question. There are different kinds of uh, technologies on the intersection of uh, robotics or artificial intelligence, like uh, rehabilitation robots, bionic limbs, neurofeedback solutions, even neurodiverse social robots for kids with, with autism spectrum. So my question is, uh, which solution you actually uh, consider uh, promising in terms of actual adoption and accessibility? Is it more about uh, rehabilitation, automation, what is actually real to see in real life? You, wow, that's a really great question. So I see um, nursing, and I'm going to focus on that again because it's what I know best. So nursing, in my opinion, is really at a crossroads where we have a, a beautiful opportunity to incorporate technologies that allow us to be a force multiplier and to improve and ratchet up the quality of care and the, the critical thinking, problem solving that we bring to the entire equation called healthcare. I see opportunities for us to um, incorporate remote monitoring on scale, right? There isn't a reason other than cost uh, and in many cases still the IT infrastructure that every inpatient bed also has remote monitoring as well. That really, as I said earlier, that allows us to truly scale the oversight that every patient has, whether it's an intensive care patient, a step-down patient, a med surge patient, a labor and delivery patient. We should be very, very open to remote monitoring to assist us in providing every patient not only the best care, the right resources at the right time, and that potentially is a way for us also to ensure that patients that don't need to be inpatient could be outpatient or cared for at home using those same technologies. I also see us using, um, as I said earlier, AR and VR to not only train nursing students to be better nurses faster, I also see us using that to train existing nurses Maybe it's on a new device or a new technology or a new piece of equipment, whether it be a, a pump or a physiologic monitor, whatever that might be. I think that that's going to lead itself to better outcomes in a cheaper fashion. I also think that same technology can be implied, applied to help improve the skill sets of existing staff. So for example, when we talk about orientation in many, many organizations, orientation is still weeks long. That could be compressed by using um, ARVR kind of training where those forced scenarios allow us to do very, very specific scenario-based testing through ARVR, track the data and know exactly where people need remediation to help them through those situations. And it happens faster. So I think that's a solution. I also see robots, especially service robots, 
working alongside of nurses. And I foresee a time that a nurse would have a, a service bot assigned to them as their team member, not to replace a patient care technician or a CNA. However, robots can be used to do the, the hunting and gathering and the fetching that are so much a part of inpatient care whether it's going to pharmacy to pick up a, a medication that's been ordered for a patient, whether it's picking up discharge meds, whether it's bringing a supply uh, from, you know, sterile stores or a supply area to a patient room, whatever that might be, there's a lot of human capital and labor just invested in the motion of going to a supply room and coming back that could be applied to something that's non-human. AI, uh, there absolutely um, is a way, and we're seeing more and more of a use of that. Um, again, it's helping uh, our, our not only our providers, but also our nurses on the front lines by um, kind of living and breathing in our EHRs, assessing patients um, for things like sepsis identifying well before our human eyes and ears can see changes, perceptible changes in lab values or perceptible changes in vital signs or even looking at translational database of nurses notes to identify, is this a patient that's becoming preceptic and let's intervene now before this patient actually crashes, right? So I see that that's going to be a very, very regular part of, of what we do. I think also communication devices. And it isn't like Big Brother's always going to know where you are, but it will because it's a way for us essentially to deploy people to the right place that might be closest to the proximity or might be most available to go attend, whether it's a patient call light or whether it's to uh, meet or round with a provider or something. I think that that's gonna be important as well. So I see technology as having a tremendous opportunity to help us as human beings become much more efficient role, particularly as nurses. Uh, there are many fears regarding how robotics and AI um, can affect unemployment and uh, how many people can lose their jobs. So um, my question is the following. I've talked with educators who implement adaptive learning and there is some kind of a combination of human component and technology component. I've talked to Wikipedia and they said, we always worked with technology and there is always uh, was some element of technology curation and human curation. So what is a com human component in nursing which never be replaced by technology and they always be human? So I think there's there's sort of two pieces to what you um, you just said. One of them is we already know we have a shortage of nurses based upon the fact that if we were to continue to practice in the same way, we have well over a million nurses short, and that will only continue to to increase. So. I see the use of leveraging technology as a way to mitigate the shortage, right? I never see this as a replacement of, of nurses or patient care technicians. Um, I think that 
that per se is not a smart place for us to go because there already are not enough nurses. We also know that we have incredibly high turnover um, across our country of things like patient care technicians and CNAs. So I think where we can use technology to help make those jobs not only more doable and more successful, but perhaps more enjoyable, I see that as a positive as a way to retain people that are in those very important roles. So I think that those pieces are important. I do think that certainly there are jobs that are very likely uh, to be phased out. So for example, as we're utilizing more and more AI to help us predict patients that will have um, arrhythmias or cardiac events, I I do see a point in time that is very likely that positions such as monitor technicians would be phased out because they would be replaced by artificial intelligence that will predict in advance patients that are going to have significant cardiac events and will communicate with nurses or even the providers, physicians to alert them to such an effect so that we can intervene in advance. So just as we saw transcriptionists phase out through um, kind of dictation and voice recognition and the production of electronic health records, I do think there are some roles that will likely be phased out. I do not see that apply to nursing. Uh, nursing is a very complex role. It's uh, just as, as generally as physicians are, right? It's a mixture of an art and a science, certainly. So I don't see nurses um, now in the very foreseeable many years of our future. I don't see nurses being replaced um, by something like AI or a robot. I, I see that as helping us as a force multiplier doing a much more effective job. Now, I would love to talk about people. Uh, as a person with neuromuscular disorder, I spent most of my life being isolated, but at the same time, I was able to create technologies completely remotely, uh, communicate, create. And I have a following question. As a person who managed, uh, who managed nurses, who worked with a medical professional, how do you define the line of um, care and excessive care. I mean, when you work with a patient and help them, how do you define um, how to help them in sufficient way, but not in excessive way, to keep independence, to actually empower them after um, treatment? I mean, for instance, I use exoskeleton or some robotics for rehabilitation, but after some period, I would love to maybe become independent from technology or maybe uh, live a normal life. Do you think that nursing has a mission to empower people uh, to become independent, even though we have some health problems? So my question, how exactly you work in this field, maybe teaching or uh, mentoring nurses? Yeah, that's a really good question, and it's a very complicated question, Yona. You know, certainly in in nursing, our goal is always to allow patients to get to the optimal state of well-being that they can, right? And every patient is different, and every patient's condition is very, very unique to them. Um, Along with that, you know, I, I think what we bring to this equation here, again, going back to sort of the empathy and compassion part of that, is that we're going to work as holistically as we're able to allow patient in their setting 
with their family and their support system and their means to be as independent as possible. Now, we can't do that alone, right? We work as, as a very strong part of an interdisciplinary team. We certainly would rely very heavily on our um, physical therapy um, counterparts, occupational therapy counterparts, um, you know, physicians, um, physical medicine and rehab doctors. I think that it's really very much a team sport for us. And I think the part that as nurses we bring to this is we want to help to drive and create care plans that every discipline can play their part in to allow a patient to attain their their goals. When those goals aren't realistic, I think we have to engage in some very difficult conversations and some um, kind of sharing of expectations around what's real and and what might be very much a stretch goal. Nowadays with technology, as you said, exoskeletons in particular is allowing patients to do things that they've never really done before. It's allowing patients that are paralyzed to actually be upright and take steps. Now, whether those things can can happen independently, um, I'm not an expert by any means in that space. So I would rely very heavily on what we can do as a collaborative interdisciplinary team to help patients get where where they can. Okay, and the last question. Um, working with uh, scientists, innovators around the world, we always discuss how to popular, uh, how to promote idea to being creator, to being scientist uh, across particular niches, how to involve people in search industries like electrical engineering, physics, chemistry, or data science. So my question is, how would we involve more people being involved in nursery as a professionals how we could um, promote it in mainstream and maybe you have some kind of project in this field i think that it's really going to um you know i would say that this pandemic has disrupted um many things for us and that's everything from who plays what role to practicing uh, in certain boundaries. So for example, in the United States, we've seen many barriers that we have had in place for quite a long time um, be torn down. So for example, the fact that in nursing, it makes a tremendous amount of sense to have a nursing compact licensure program that allows nurses to essentially transfer from state to state to state with appropriate regulations, appropriate um, continuing education, appropriate training. It it's makes so much sense for us to simplify the process of licensure. I'm not saying, I'm not advocating lowering the bar. I think the bar should be appropriately high because it's an important profession. So I think that the bar needs to be at a very appropriate level and it should be a national standard. It should be very easy for us to move so that nurses could shift to different um, states if they wanted to to practice and maybe you know come back to their own state over the course of time i'm not advocating you know hopping from one job to the other on a very frequent basis i'm saying let's come up with ways that are going to make things like this easier i think also through telehealth and telemedicine the ability to be licensed at a uh, perhaps at a national level and then practice across different state lines that would be very helpful 
So I think that we are seeing some of the mitigation associated with problems that have been longstanding. That's happened now, albeit it's temporary. So at some point when it does go back to how it was, it's going to feel doubly broken because we, we've, just, we've just passed some of these barriers and now we're going back into, in my opinion, what's a very archaic system. So I think some of these things are going to be highlighted as doubly problematic. So we knew they were an issue before. Now that we've torn down the barrier, once we go backwards, if we do, we're going to realize that they're very, very broken. I think we're also seeing a, a tremendous amount of support and cross-collaborative um, discipline in ways that's incredibly spiriting and encouraging to me. And clinicians, particularly those right now working in hospitals, emergency departments, um, you know, critical care units, med surge units, even labor and delivery, every unit uh, across the country we're just hearing incredibly strong and powerful stories of of people coming together and, and working together as teams as never before. That's very powerful. It's very it, it's a it's a beautiful thing, and certainly it's with gratitude that you know people like me who are supporting from the sidelines we see this happening and would love for that to to continue. So I think our medical and nursing and healthcare communities are very strong and have risen just tremendously to the challenge. So the more that we can support them and reinforce the work that they're doing by safely um, you know, providing them with the supplies and the PPE and the staff that they need to, that goes a very, very long way because when this is all over, we're gonna have some difficult conversations in this country.